Hi, this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to Disney Insights. Have you taken time to see some animated features on Disney Plus that, well, they go way back into Walt Disney's own vault? During the 1940s, you will find Disney animated features like Melody Time, Saludos Amigos, and Make Mine Music. These were known as package films, similar to Fantasia, but with far less attention to detail. They composed the war era, which was during World War II and its aftermath. This era was between the golden age of Disney, which started with Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, and the silver age, which started with Cinderella in the 1950s. Fun and Fancy Free is one of those anthology films of the war era and is the title of a chapter that describes how Walt and his brother Roy got through a period that was actually anything but fun and fancy free. It's just one chapter in my new book, A Century of Powerful Disney Insights, and it has implications in many ways to Disney's own challenges today. So join me for anything but fun and fancy free. By the way, when you get a chance, make sure you check out DisneyInsights.com, which builds on our podcast and offers you links to so many of the things that we're going to be talking about. We also invite you to, if you would, please go to um, your podcast source and offer a positive rating or review to what is, well, <laughs> the, the littlest podcast that ever could. We are trying to grow and we appreciate those who have been joining us recently and have been uh, listening to us. Thank you so much. Today's podcast is, well, frankly, kind of unique. We call it my Disney at Work podcast because it takes Disney ideas from best in business practices at Disney and helps you to kind of think about what that looks like in your own life or in your own work and your own organization. And so we have an opportunity to talk about an, an event that occurred in the 1940s with Walt Disney. And uh, it has to do with, uh, well, before we go any further, let's just check it out. Fun and Fancy Free was the name of an anthology or package film created by Walt and his studio team. It was the fourth of six such package films produced in the 1940s. Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros, Make Mine Music, Melody Time, and Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad were such package films. Fun and Fancy Free starts off with Jiminy Cricket, but then moves into a story of Bongo, a circus bear who falls in love. Later, the film showcases Mickey, Donald, and Goofy in a parody of Jack and the Beanstalk. The statement, fun and fancy free, also refers to the idea of having freedom to find your own delight, your own passion. This would not be the situation for Walt during this time. After the world toppled two global giants in World War II, the company had more than four million in debts and business was very slow in the war's aftermath. The company began distributing again films in Europe, but they had difficulty getting monies to come back to the studios in the United States. It was a 
difficult to return to the kind of focus and effort generated by the studio in the first films, starting with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. While these were feature-length features, the actual length was often shorter, and the films filled more of a B-film role for a double feature rather than a headliner. There were many moments of terrific animation throughout these films, but they are just that, moments. And it's difficult to acknowledge any of these films in the same category of the studio's earlier classic style work. Looking back, it's, it's amazing that Walt and Roy kept the lights on, but the work itself still fell short of what he knew he was capable of. As Walt remarked, quote, we're through with caviar. From now on, it's mashed potatoes and gravy, end of quote. The post-war menu looked bleak to Roy Disney as well when it became impossible in the post-war depression to get payments from abroad as monies were blocked from leaving the countries. How did they make it through these times? There were two ways in which they led during this period. The first is lean on your prior reputation. At one point, the Los Angeles liaison for Bank of America wanted Walt and Roy to discuss their business affairs up in San Francisco. The studio's debts were up and the revenues were low. When they arrived for the meeting, there were 12 directors all sitting around the table. Moreover, A.P. Giannini, the founder and board chairman of Bank of America, was present. A.P. listened to the discussion around the table. The brothers struggled to offer hope in light of the war and the closed markets. In Bob Thomas's work on Walt Disney, he noted that, quote, Giannini began interrogating the directors. I've been lending the Disneys lots of money. How many of their pictures have you seen? Which ones? He demanded answers from each board member, and he discovered that several of them had seen none of the Disney movies. Then, Giannini pointed out, quote, well, I've seen them. I've been watching the Disney's pictures quite closely because I knew we were lending them money far beyond and above the financial risk. But I realized that there's nothing about those pictures that will be changed by the war. They're good this year, they're good next year, and they're good the year after. Now there's a war on and the Disney's market is in trouble. Their money's frozen or else they can't get in countries. You have to relax and give them time to market their product. This war isn't going to last forever, end of quote. With that, Giannini strode out of the room. Walt and Roy returned to Los Angeles with the assurance that they would be able to stay in business. The brothers got through these difficult moments because they kept a long-term vision and associated with individuals who held the same. They earned the trust of Bank of America's founder and board chairman because of the hard work they had done. That would pay dividends in their favor.
for decades to come. The second is what I refer to as, well, it's what you do with what you got. Despite assurances from Giannini himself, finances tied Walt's hands tightly. Inside of him was a creative soul who had to focus more on making do with what you got than with making the sky the limit. In fact, It's What You Do With What You Got is a song found in a film he made at that time entitled So Dear to My Heart. One of the things that Walt took advantage of during this time was the fact that he had a full, complete studio. With sound stages and recording studios, he could reach beyond just doing animation, which was painfully slow and very expensive to create. For example, one of his first attempts was a feature that offered a tour of his new studio. The Reluctant Dragon showed American humorist Robert Benchley walking all over the new studio trying to find Walt to pitch an idea for a short. While it came out during the difficult and embarrassing episode of the strike, it was his first foray into live action. Live action allowed the studio to create a product much quicker than the arduous process of animation. Walt Disney Productions needed to embrace live action production that used their studios, their assets, and most importantly, their reputation. It would be characterized as family entertainment with some films infused with bits and pieces of animation. So, Walt turned his focus on live-action projects. An anonymous animator stated in Bob Thomas's book on Walt Disney, quote, As soon as Walt rode on a camera crane, we knew we were going to lose him, end of quote. The sense of control Walt Disney had in producing a live-action film was a contrast to the many animated film projects that kept escalating in cost. Many of these animation projects never saw the light of day. Others, like Alice in Wonderland, dragged on for years, even during the era of Snow White, and took years to complete. In the instance of Destino, a project made in collaboration with Salvador Dali, the project was shelved for decades until 2003, when, with the support of Walt's nephew, Roy E. Disney, it was finally completed. Roy O. Disney's biography would remark, quote, we are not going into the, these things because we are feeling our oats or, or getting ambitious. We are doing it for common sense business reasons, realizing the hazards of our basic cartoon business, end of quote. Song of the South in 1946 and So Dear to My Heart in 1948 allowed Walt to use live action to counter the costs of animation that would be interspersed in each of those films. These efforts, along with films being created in Europe during this time, brought the Disney organization into a new business era. In time, Walt Disney Studios became known as well for its movies as it did for its animation. In time, films like Mary Poppins, Swiss Family Robinson, Pollyanna, and The Parent Trap owe their success to the fact that Walt had to make do with what he had and extend his business 
into film production. To give you a little sense of the, uh, well, the meat and potatoes uh, era that Walt was in, Walt saw the possibility that this Mickey and the Beanstalk film could actually be a full-length feature film. Now, we think about Mickey Mouse being in Fantasia, but he's only, that as the Sorcerer's Apprentice, uh, he's only in one segment of that Fantasia film. Originally, Walt saw Mickey being the, I mean, it was his return to the screen in a full-length feature project. And and uh, Walt saw him as the star of this whole thing. Now, in the, in the end, what they did is they made him a featurette and added the Bongo story uh, to create two. They didn't make it. In fact, uh, Minnie was supposed to be in this film as the queen, but the way they ended up kind of shaping the film, some things got thrown out and other things got tightened up. And and in the end, it be Mickey and the Beanstalk became only one of two parts to fun and fancy free. I should also mention that the one of the threads that holds the film together is uh, singer Dinah Shore. Uh, she had already done uh, a little picture, well, had, had done uh, a piece for Make Mine Music in 1946. Walt had her come back and sing the bongo sec segment of Fun and Fancy Free. Now, you have to understand, this is the Taylor Swift of the 1940s. This was, a lot of people know her from her talk show in the 1970s, but she was, at this time, a songstress that was perhaps the most popular female vocalist of the 1940s. She had over 80 charted popular records by 1957. And so bringing her was kind of an important component of the film. Another individual, another uh, female who was brought into this film is Luana Patton. She is part of what becomes the story for being in Mickey and the Beanstalk. In fact, the story is told at a party, which is thrown for uh, Luana. Walt was always looking for kind of almost her, his next Alice in, in Cartoonland uh, character. And, uh, and he was so impressed with Luana that she went on to be uh, the young lady in Song of the South and then afterwards, uh, which was in 46, and then afterwards uh, the star of So Dear to My Heart. So... Uh, you can kind of see, and by the way, she's also appearing very briefly with Bob, Bob, uh, Bobby Driscoll in the story of Pecos Bill. And that's kind of fun, too, when you see uh, in Melody Time, which honestly, of all of the all of these pictures during that time, Melody Time is my favorite, partly because of the Pecos Bill segment there and also because of Johnny Appleseed, which was uh, my favorite. But, but notwithstanding, these were all kind of hit and miss moments. Uh, back then, nothing, I mean, now, actually, Variety at that time, uh, Variety uh, noted that, quote, all of it adds up to one of Disney's finest achievements, referencing fun and fancy free. But it, you know, it didn't kind of, it didn't do the box office kind of business that we saw with Snow White or Cinderella. And in fact, it led to, to the eventuality that if Cinderella hadn't been a big hit, Walt was going to have to question being in the business of animation altogether because costs were continually continually rising up during that time. I should also mention that um, 
that the original voice artist between behind Donald and Goofy, which was Clarence Ducky Nash and Pinto Kovic, once again stepped up to the microphone for Mickey and the Beanstalk. They are major characters in the film. But as for Mickey himself, Walt originally recorded the dialogue uh, for his animated uh, little friend in uh, 1940, but when production resumed later uh, in 46, things had changed and Walt's voice had changed and that's when Jimmy McDonald kind of came into the picture to uh, to do the picture. Plus, Walt had just kind of gone on to other things and, and frankly felt like the best bet was to call Disney sound effects whiz jimmy mcdonald to come in and do it so all of these things kind of played a part in what created fun and fancy free you should watch the film if you haven't had a chance it's a lovely picture and it's one of the few uh, it's one of those that that a lot of folks just haven't seen it, he wears the uh taylor outfit which you know in phantasmic when you see that show you see sorcerer mickey um, at the end, but you also have a segment where he takes on, I think that's the segment where he takes on the dragon and he's in that Taylor outfit and that is actually from Fun and Fancy Free. That was one of Mickey's biggest, it's a bigger moment for Mickey than his experience with Fantasia in terms of length. But of course, most people remember Mickey more from The Sorcerer's Apprentice than they do from uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk. Now, as part of, well, all of our chapters in a century of powerful Disney insights, we ask some ideas for the next century. And these ideas have relevancy to any organization. So consider how you can make the magic come alive for you. First, what are the meat and potatoes of your business? Can you make those ingredients come alive? Second, have there been times when life was not fun and fancy free? What is it about those periods that were most frustrating? And third, how do you, well, do with what you got when faced with those difficult circumstances? You know, many of these questions are challenges that the Walt Disney Company has to face today. When it comes to theatrical fare or television product like ABC, they are in some very meat and potato style businesses. Their challenge is to make those ingredients come to life. With Nelson Peltz and Jay Rasulo trying to get seats on the board of the company and perhaps even hoping to take over the company themselves, times for Bob Iger and others is anything but fun and fancy free. And with Epic Universe coming on board in Orlando, how is Disney in the short term going to, well, do with what you got in competing with organizations trying to take guests away from them? It's all part of the challenges of the Walt Disney Company, but it's also part of the challenges we all, we all face in our own lives. Sometimes we just kind of feel like we're in the meat and potatoes of our lives, just the going on the daily grind, when in truth, we're trying to find a way to break out and take it to the next level. Well, this chapter comes from a century of powerful Disney insights. 
Volume 1, and you can order that book on Amazon. It's a, it's a great way to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. In truth, over in over 100 years, the Walt Disney Company has emerged as one of the most successful entertainment entities across the globe. In this, the first of two volumes, we study the first 50 years of Disney, beginning with Walt and Roy. We look at major milestones and not only see the evolution of an organization begun in a garage, but how it truly became so beloved to millions around the world. From Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and Mickey Mouse through Snow White and Cinderella, from the Mouseketeers to Mary Poppins, and from Disneyland to Walt Disney World, we share stories and insights from 1923 to 1973. We hope you'll be inspired with the ideas and how you can apply these stories to your own life and work. It's one of several books I offer through my Disney at Work series to include Disney leadership and you, as well as the wonderful world of customer service at Disney. In fact, if you just want a book on how to create a great organization, you may just want to check out Lead With Your Customer which is already in its second volume. Well, if you want to create excellence in your own organization, remember that this podcast and the post attached is provided by myself and Performance Journeys, which is celebrating its 20th year as a training and development group bringing best in business ideas through books, keynotes, workshops, seminars, and online tools to help you take your organization to the next level. So, for instance, if you're looking for a keynote speaker, well, I gotta tell you, more than just nice stories, I offer proven insight and solutions having worked out there in the trench. In fact, this week, as you're listening to this podcast, I am in Kansas City, yeah, the original place where Walt Disney kinda got his business start, didn't last very long, because he went into bankruptcy, but, I'm in Kansas City and then also in Omaha, working with groups there. If you need consulting, well, I've worked with for decades across the public, private, and nonprofit arenas. We're talking about banks, we're talking about hospitals, hotels, government agencies, and so forth. Um, we provide that kind of leadership, consulting, and support that can only be offered by people who really have helped others get to a better place. And if you need support, well, we offer so many classroom, online, and other resources to help you improve your customer service delivery, leadership development, and employee engagement. If you want a taste of that, hey, you ought to check out Performance Journeys. You might even also want to check out the Wayfinder Society, which is our Patreon group. And the higher tiers of those, you can start as little as, as $10 a month, but the higher tiers allow you to actually, well, gain insights on um, organizations just like yours and how you could take it to the next level. It's uh, a lot of people who do business with us do it by, I mean, this is an organizational expense to go out there and have this kind of resource available to them. And of course, we're bringing all this best in business ideas from Disney Plus other organizations who are out there making it happen. So check out the Wayfinder Society and of course, check out performancejourneys.com. 
Well, that does it for this week. Thanks for joining us and being part of this Disney Insights podcast. Again, you know, one of the things we talk about in every podcast, they always end with a little phrase from an Alan Menken song. Yeah, the same one who, same individual who wrote Beauty and the Beast and Songs for the Little Mermaid. Also came up with a song for a little film, for a little attraction at Tokyo Disney Sea called Sinbad Storybook Voyage. And the message in that film is follow the compass of your heart. We just think that's so solid to what we are trying to get other organizations and individuals to do. Always follow the compass of your heart. Hey, have a great day. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you real soon. Thank you.